Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks edition. I am Michael, your captain of the USS Rainman Digital. And on the bridge with me is Lieutenant Junior Grade David Sabal. Hello. Hello, everybody. All right. So this was a fun episode. It was. It was. Also, it filled in some gaps when it comes to the post-TNG era, when it comes to the Ferengi. And Which I'm sorry, going back to the Ferengi is actually really cool. Yeah, that's something that I'm not against. I know there were a lot of people in the 90s that almost viewed them as some type of abject horror. It's like, I don't want to look at these people. They're disgusting. <laughs> they, they have strange fetishes with their ears. I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, but I've always liked them because... Because of the reasons why they were even introduced originally in the what late 80s in uh, TNG's first season. Yeah. I, I've always liked them because they were bizarre. Yeah. They were very different to any other alien species we had seen or been introduced to in the world of Star Trek. Uh, that mean the fact that they were mis- misogynistic. They were all they were originally introduced as pirates. Yes. So and like- to see their evolution over the course of what 15 years bleeding into the ending Mm -hmm. of deep space nine how often do we get to see a species actually fully evolve and become a a legitimate species within the world of star trek that we can actually understand and was eventually utilized as a bit of a metaphor for american capitalism exactly and that's the one thing that makes the frangy fun is like they started off to be kind of like this very extreme mirror to humanity, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like a taboo side of humanity where they're misogynistic. They're, they're greedy. They're, they're just this people that basically are the epitome of like bad things about humanity. Mm -hmm. And instead it evolved into one of, I feel one of my favorite takes on capitalism and, um, American society when it comes to economics and shows it in a very negative light, but also in a very hum- humorous light. So it's a very, it's very digestible. Yeah. It's not like when in the very beginning it was very cringeworthy where they're like talking about, oh, you give you, you let your women wear clothes. Ugh. And it's like, <laughs> they went from that to also talking about economics in a very sleazy way, but it's easily digestible for the audience to basically just go, it doesn't give you that cringe factor. Well, that's the fine art of Star Trek. It's always been, they've always found interesting ways to put human society under the microscope. Yeah. 
in a way that doesn't feel like they're getting on a platform and pointing at people and saying, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. Instead, they use the Ferengi as a type of hyperbolic metaphor for Western capitalism and greed. Mm -hmm. And that's really, in my opinion, when the writers of Star Trek, especially Deep Space Nine, found the species value within Star Trek. It's a very unflattering depiction, but that was the point. We get to analyze and sort through the problems of inequality when it comes to our real world, when it comes to the way society views or viewed women. Uh Then you combine that with unbridled capitalism. (laughs) Yeah. You definitely get a hyperbolic picture or depiction of modern society. That's the genius of Star Trek. That's how you actually delve into sociological and cultural problems. And the interesting thing that I really found, and it took me like two viewings to actually see the message of what Lower Decks, because throughout this season, Lower Decks has this, inane gift of taking something and adding like a adding like a meaning to their episode oh yeah. this is the the moral of the story and when it came to the very end it was really interesting because i didn't see the what was the meaning of this meaning of this episode and it all came down to the fact that yeah the ferengi are looked at in this very quote unquote negative mirror of humanity. Right. But the whole moral of the story was like in order for the Federation to uh, accept the Ferengi, they have to think like them. They have to what accept them. Mm -hmm. They have to be, they have to accept that basically this is the way their culture works and accept them in order to make the Federation more diverse. And it was interesting to hear it from a character like Rom telling Freeman, oh, yeah, uh, the, this was all a test to see if the Federation w- would at least take our culture seriously. Yeah. And if you're willing to negotiate like us, that shows that basically you actually care. Well, isn't that the embodiment of a multicultural society? It's not about, yes, there's a bit of assimilation there. You have to conform to certain rules. Right. In order to to adapt and live in a harmonious society, there's going to be half there's going to have to be a certain amount of assimilation. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you have to throw out your own cultural culture. Yes. Your own culture. And you're right. That's a great point, because that that was I don't know if it's a message, but it was definitely a Star Trek type of thing where you see that it was about the acceptance of a culture, even something that we, I'm going to throw us in this perspective as well, something that we may look unfavorably upon, Mm -hmm. something that we may not like because it looks ugly at a surface level. Yes. So rather than shunning something that we may not like what it looks like, it's about accepting these individuals for what they are and looking past the superficialities and realizing in a lot of ways, Ferenginar does, even to this moment, based on Lower Decks, does represent the continuing progress of modern society. Yeah, it does. That's 
the beautiful thing that yes, it, it may have a veneer of ugliness at times, but it says something about us as humans and even the American culture. And I'm not trying to single out other cultures, but let's look at the United States, for example. You know, we hear a lot of doom and gloom about this country and about how awful we are and the horrible history that we have. Okay, fine. But when you compare our history to every other culture over the course of centuries, They've all had their atrocities. They've all had their atrocities. But you know one thing that w this country has done that no other country has done in human history that we know of, at least recorded history? The amount of change and progress that this country has made in such a short time. Exactly. Is uncomparable. Is uncomparable. Much like basically what happened with Frankenar. Frankenar basically was exactly. like that. And in a short amount of time because of like their capitalist society and they're, they're, they've evolved from that very, very barbaric beginning to you can say that they're a civilized culture. Now they might, they think differently, but that's to be accepted because they're, they're a different race. They're a different culture. So obviously they are going to think differently than you will. Yeah. And that's what I liked when I took a, when I, when I really dissected the episode, I saw that Freeman is how we should look at other cultures. Yeah. Accept them, learn about them, understand them. A little bit of a relativist when it comes to like the accepting of yeah. their ways. The yeah. sad part is the Admiral is what the minor, or probably the, you could say the majority of people would do is basically they just willingly comply. Oh, just ignore them. It's okay. Ignore everything. Just go with whatever they say. Don't, you don't have to understand why they do it. Just do what they say. Tone deaf diplomats. Exactly. And that's what, that's what majority of people are like. And I like the fact that basically they use that parallel and it didn't hit me till the second viewing because like, I, number one, I was actually having too much fun laughing at lo a lot of the jokes that was going on. Yeah, it was a good around episode. Yeah. Because like some of the humor here was just hilarious with poor Tendi and Rutherford being forced to uh, kind of show, show their love out in the, yeah. <laughs> in the public. Well, let's get into all of that. So yeah. today's episode discussion is based on episode six titled Parth Ferengi's Heart Place. Synapsis, the Cerritos visits the Ferengi homeworld. The episode is directed by Brandon Williams and written by Colin Crawford. So, yes, a lot of things actually happened this episode there. I think there was like a story A, B, and C. And C. Which is quite the accomplishment for an episode that had a running time of 25 minutes. And I would say story A had a lot to do with, with the changing dynamics Maybe that was change, uh, story C, but that's the one I definitely gravitated more towards. More towards was the Ferengi stuff. But, you know, D DS9, as we had alluded to a few moments ago, hinted at the changing dynamics within Ferengi society mm -hmm. with characters like Ishka, I believe is how you pronounce her name, yeah. challenging their regressive views on women and Rom's rise to leadership as Grand Nagus. Now... Lower decks seemingly finding their purpose in a lot of ways, filling in the gaps, giving us a little bit of insight to what has happened or transpired over the last 
whatever, five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years since the ending of our favorite shows, because now we see these changes culminate as Ferenganar formally joins the Federation. What makes this exploration even more intriguing is how Lower Decks manages to combine humor, as they do, yes. and respect for Star Trek's legacy. That's something Lower Decks always juggles very well. It adds a vital chapter to the Ferengi story, expanding our understanding of this alien species. This seems to be the, the majority of the intent this season. They did it with the Orions. They did it with the Ferengi. Huh. Uh, what was the other species they recently did it with? We just talked about it recently. I, it, uh, it eludes me currently. But they did the Ryans, Ferengi now. They did the Klingons. Oh, the Beta Zeds. Beta Zeds. They have basically gone back to the well and fleshed out the species that we either haven't seen since the TNG era or haven't really been expanded on much throughout the decades of Star Trek history. Yeah. I really like what they're doing this season when it comes to that particular aspect. They're doing a great job filling in the so-called gaps and offering fans of Star Trek updates on particular species. Well, the, the amazing thing too is like, this has been a strength that it all started with what they did with the packlets. Yeah. I mean, me and you, me and you have, were... That's when right. they did the pack leds, we were like, going, how the hell did they just make the pack leds <laughs> the main villains of their season and made it work? Still the best decision. And yet. still the best Lower decision. Days. And then now we're seeing that now with this particular season where they're going, okay, let's, let's do this with every single alien species that we can think of. And it really makes me excited about the next following episodes because I'm like going, what other alien species could they dive into? I would love to see them do Romulans, even though we got we yeah. got a little peek at the Romulans, you know, with them saying that, oh, let's go sneak over there in the well, neutral zone. But also we we have been given a little bit of an update on the Romulans when you think about it, when you look at the Kelvin timeline movies. Now, people may say, well, that's Kelvin, but it didn't start off as that. We We understand what happened to them because the catalysts and the... I guess you can say the ontological beginnings of the Kelvin timeline originated because of the prime universe, the things yes. that were happening within the prime universe that created that split. And what created that split was the issues that were plaguing Romulus. Yeah. Where they're, where the destruction of, the of their homeworld. Their homeworld. So you, we have that. And we also have what Picard season one did that pretty much rode the, the um the shoulders of that particular story idea, the destruction of Romulus, and then this idea that these people no longer had a home. They were immigrants, migrants, if you will, that needed a place to live. So we have a bit of that when it comes to the filling of the gaps post-TNG era. And then, of course, now we know of the the ultimate unification or reunification of the species Vulcan and Romulans in discovery. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing some Romulans, but there are other species that would seem to make more sense at this point that haven't been explored as much. And it makes it more interesting too, with the overall background story that's been going on this season with the one ship going around and attacking several ships. But now we're seeing it 
we're seeing that tied into that notion of different alien races because the main villain of the of the season you could say has been targeting certain alliances or certain races flat out have they ta- have they attacked the federation yet not yet but but they've 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 we know that they attacked the beta z mm-hmm. because the beta z people were talking about it they attacked the Ferengi in the very beginning of this one, and they attacked the Klingons. Uh, the Klingons. They attacked the Orions. Mm-hmm. They took the Orion pirates, and so a lot of different species have except been for the Federation. Yeah. So that's why uh, that's why I think is like this episode is has so many go- going on about it, and it didn't dawn on me till after a couple viewings because. At, at you know face value, you're like going, oh, this is a pretty simple episode. There's it's a really good humor. We got our Star Trek, um, Star Trek, you know, stereotypes that we have gravitated towards when it comes to storytelling purposes. Mm-hmm. But then when you start peeling it, peeling everything together and putting it together like some kind of weird, you know, weird pattern of lines and you know with that that one meme where basically the guy the the one guy from uh always sunny oh, yeah. is pointing at the board and saying this is how everything is connected this is one of those episodes because i started peeling away and saying oh wait wait a minute okay the main villain of the season it start opened up by it attacking the Ferengi. we know it just attacked all the alien, other alien races, it doesn't attack the Federation. It yeah, I, so I'm wondering if it's connected to the Federation in some way. Yeah, and then like on top of that, then you start peeling more back and you realize this is the first episode where we have a multi-tiered storyline where we have A, B, A, B, and C. We have A, B, C, and then we also have the, I guess you can say the governing myth arc, which is the attacking... The attacking ship. Yeah. You could say is D at that point. Yeah. And it's like, holy crap, there is a lot going on in here if you are paying attention. Yeah. Well, that's why I always say, Dave, despite the fact that there may be some episodes that I just shrug and say, what the fuck are you guys doing here? One thing you cannot complain about or say is that these writers don't know how to write. They know how to write. It's these scripts are so fucking tight, so concise that it would be tough to argue that they don't know how to write. Yeah. And not just that they don't know how to write, but in fact, they write very well. Mm -hmm. All right. So in this episode, as we have been discussing, a lot of different things have been going on, a lot of many moving parts, but the show delicately balances the narrative threads. One revolves around our lower decks crew members. Yes. As we have been saying, Boimler, Mariner, Tendi, Rutherford, they go on a faux travel guide fact finding trip where Mariner's personal journey takes center stage as she grapples with <laughs> yet again, self sabotage. Yes. Providing an advancement which is what I love to her character arc this season. Plus we get to explore the evolving relationship between Rutherford and Tendi in a very funny and very unique way. Yes. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but they are saying that Tendi and Rutherford are, are in love with each other, right? They're in love they with just each other. don't realize it. yet. Yeah. They don't realize it yet. Okay. They, they keep saying, Oh, this is a platonic relationship. And it's like, actually, you know, <laughs> 
<laughs> what you guys are doing isn't quite plutonic. So it, I was laughing so hard at the end when, okay, so you get the whole episode where they're very uncomfortable expressing their feelings to each other. But then at the end, when they go into the Jeffries tube, Jeffrey's they're tube. basically like, fucking, they're, they're, yeah, they're on top of each <laughs> like, other. Rutherford's legs were between like straddling <laughs> Tindy's legs. <laughs> I, that was probably one of the funniest moments of the episode. Cause I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And right yeah. And, the, and like and right, Rutherford and then the noises they're making. Yeah. When they're in the Jeffries, you know, like, like, Oh God. <laughs> yeah. The episode was funny when it comes to that type of stuff. And like I said, Give us the funny, but give us those character development moments, those much needed aspects. And this episode might be one of the best episodes when it comes, best episode of the season when it comes to some real solid character development. Yeah. Especially when it comes to Mariner. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you bring this one she up. She can't really self-sabotage because no. just like Ransom said last season, or I should say, Cap, was it Captain Freeman that put Ransom in charge of Mariner's... Uh, Career? Career, yeah. Okay. And since then, Ransom's like, I'm not letting her fail. So he is doing everything possible to prevent her from self-sabotaging. And now she's in this whole rut that she of depression, depression. because she, she's not being allowed to destroy herself. Because why? Because since the very beginning of Lower Decks, they're the one f character flaw of Mariner that has always shined through every single season she cannot stand change. She just can't. Also, she is very immature. And it's, it's strange because I've never quite seen a story like this where, you where you're actually witnessing someone who is maturing, who's becoming yeah. a, a, a mature individual who's letting go of their adolescent cravings and wants of, of irresponsibility. And they're coming face to face with the fact that they are becoming an adult. You know, she should have been adult a long time ago, but becoming responsible. And even though she is becoming a responsible person, it's almost like she doesn't like the fact that she's becoming <laughs> she's responsible, responsible even though she's not being forced to become responsible. It's actually happening organically because she's reached a moment in her life where she is becoming more mature, but she is pushing back on that maturity. She wants to be immature, even though it's no longer really a part of her. Yes. Which is quite the paradox and that's why i thought the the whole story where he she meets her old friend and the old friend is like going yeah things have changed everything else i'm not the same person that i was and here's mariner trying to do the exact same thing that she did many years ago and it's like no you're self-sabotaging yourself because you think that i can go back to that but you can't, you, you are maturing, you are becoming a better person. And it's so hilarious to me because like, when I see that, I realize every single season, this is an ongoing thing Mariner has. And overall it's about her, her lack, her lack of wanting to accept change. You know, when Boimler left, what was the thing in that one season? Mariner had a problem because her Boimler was in on the Titan and she was over, over there when in actuality it, the whole show started with her hating Boimler. And then as soon as it got taken away from her and change happened, suddenly she needed Boimler back. <laughs> if, and like her relationship with her mom, it started off very toxic. And then as soon as it got 
to a point where, oh, they're not toxic anymore. They're, they're very, they have a decent relationship. She tries to self-sabotage herself and gets herself uh, demoted. <laughs> and, and this is like an ongoing thing with Mariner. And I was wondering this particular season, how are they going to tackle this? And it's the inclusion of the fact that Ransom basically refuses to let Mariner fail. It's something different because we're used to seeing like a storyline where the authoritative figure is trying to make the person fail. This is the opposite. Ransom is actually, no, I'm not going to let her fail. I'm going to let her succeed because that makes me look good. <laughs> well, it's an interesting, just a care. I hate to say character study in such a silly cartoon, but in a lot but of ways it is. it is, it's a bit of a character study on people that, are afraid of responsibility, people who are afraid to grow up and what maturity means yeah. to life and what it entails, things you must do, the things that you must take seriously. And eventually I have a feeling Mariner is going to reach that moment where she realizes she can still be herself. She can still be someone that leans into, you know, hedonistic fun, yeah. you know, without destroying herself. Mm hmm. You know, without needing to get drunk and getting into a fight so that she can wallow in her own immature decisions. I was laughing at that one part where the biker, the Ferengi biker gang was apologizing the whole time. And she just punches the guy just randomly and throws him into the other gang. Yeah. So, yeah, David, this was a an interesting and fun episode. It was a good episode. It was, and a good episode. It was nice to see some of our old iconic characters reprise their characters because the actor that played Rom in D space nine, Max Grodenchik, I believe yeah. how you say his name. He did play Rom or I should say he did voice the character Rom and then chase Masterson who played Lita in D space nine. Yep. She reprised her role. And I, I really liked that. I mean, Laura Dex is, Laura Dex has done the one thing I think the other shows try to chase, which is, oh, let's bring in like these, these legacy characters, right? And make it matter. And we always see it in live action where it kind of stumbles a little bit. That's probably my biggest, com my only complaint really with season three of Picard. Yeah. Was that weird Tuvok thing? Well, the weird Tuvok like, thing. That didn't really matter. Like it was weird <laughs> that you had him there. Exactly. But here in Lower Decks, Every time they bring in a legacy character or like a actor, a well-known actor from Star Trek, they make their character matter to the story. Yeah. And it's really, it, it, it you're right. It matters to the story. That's why I, I really love the past uh, D, uh, Deep Space Nine episode. Cause when you look back at that episode, they could have just gone really schlocky with it and go, here's, oh, here's Quark, here's, here's Kira and everybody else and everyone's back. All right. But they made their characters matter to the story. Yeah. Here, amazingly, they made Rom work because like using Rom the way he is created, which is Rom is supposed to be. He's a bit of a, he's not a, dumb. he's not, he's, not, he's dumb. not dummy. He's actually has a very high IQ. Yeah. He's just a bit of a dope. He's a dope. Yeah. But the thing was, he's, he's, he's a bit of a dope because that's how he 
grew up, he grew up under the thumb of his brother Quark yeah. being the schemer. And then when he went, because remember in Deep Space Nine, when he goes over to the, the other restaurant, he gets uh, even abused by the... Uh, uh, the, the owner of that and has to go back to Quark. Yeah. And like, that's his personality trait. It's not that he's dumb. And he does play dumb a lot too. He plays dumb. Yeah. And then in here. Just in, like he did in Lower Decks. Yes. Yeah. And in Lower Decks, they point out the the strategy of like the Ferengi is like, they're doing a rope-a-dope on you. Mm-hmm. One plays, one plays dumb. The other plays, you know, the schemer. And I'm like, going, oh my God, they got, they got this character right. And it made it work for the story they were telling because like all you really needed was Rom playing that silly, goofy element to kind of throw off the Admiral because the Admiral is like looking at him go, Oh, it's just a Ferengi. Okay. Let's just do what he says because I don't want to deal with someone that stupid. Yeah. (laughs) So Dave, what's your RMD score? My RMD score for this one. I might surprise people. I gave this one a relatively high one because I enjoyed it so much was a 97. 97. Wow. I liked it. I really did because there was so much originally in my first viewing, I was like, okay, this was a good episode, maybe about a 80, 85. Right. And then I watched it again and I started peeling layers back. I'm like going, Holy crap. There's a lot going on in this episode. Yeah. So I, 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 my score kept going up and up. And the fact that they were able to do that in 27 minutes is amazing. It's a testament to the to the show that they were able to do something like that. Then the other episodes, they never really did. They never really took gambles of doing multi-layered stories and really putting out still a Star Trek-like narrative. Yeah. No, I agree. I can't disagree. To me, this is probably the best episode of the season just sheerly because of character development. Yeah. The amount of ground they covered. Well, shoot, we didn't even cover Boimler. The Boimler thing was freaking hilarious. Yeah, it was more the smaller story, but to see him also willing, <laughs> well, not maybe not willing, maybe <laughs> sucked in. Sucked in. But the fact that the writers were willing to take him out of his comfort zone. Yes. And just by doing something as simple as that, it also showed some development there as well, mm-hmm. as Ransom had vocalized or voiced to Boimler himself when he said that he's proud of him, you know? (laughs) So, all right, you know what? I'm going to give this episode a 90%. It is the strongest episode of the season. May not be my favorite episode of the season, but it is the best when it comes to all those things we discuss. It's it's hard not to acknowledge, acknowledge just how well written this episode was. So 90%, which is a studio 95, 94%. Which isn't that bad at all. Nope. All right. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.